Well, welcome to Grace Fellowship this morning. We're delighted you're here. Actually, it wouldn't be much of a service without you. <laughs> so we are, are, are happy that you're here. Um, there are a lot of uh, uh, opportunities here this morning, and we want you to be able to take advantage of that. If you need a Bible or a pen or an outline, if you could wave it uh, at Becca, she would be happy to get them to you. So while Becca is going around, um, let me just mention that we're delighted you brought your little ones with us, with you. If you want to keep them with you in the service, that's great. If they make a little noise, I'll make a lot more. <laughs> if you would, uh, if you would like, there's child care uh, around the corner to the left, and uh, you can uh, make use of that if you would like. There's a room for nursing mothers if if you would like to make take advantage of that. We're going to be looking at Ecclesiastes 6, and that's page 357 in the church Bibles. If you've got your own Bible with you, you're on your own. <laughs> but Ecclesiastes is, uh, if you get to Psalms, that's kind of the big book in the middle, and then you keep heading for the back, you should hit Ecclesiastes pretty quickly. Um, today, as we, we look at Ecclesiastes 6... As it says on your outline, we're going to take a deep dive into the dark side. <laughs> One of the things that, that we've seen in Ecclesiastes is that the overall uh, theme seems to be that life under the sun is vanity. Now, most of us get happy when the sun is out. But he's using this expression to just talk about life on this planet and that uh, it's characterized by vanity. Now, this word is often uh, translated as smoke or mist, um, and so that's uh, kind of what he's trying to get at there, um, and it's also translated as vanity. Uh, this phrase, under the sun, is repeated 26 times in this short book. He seems to, to use uh, under the sun to mean on this earth. Solomon emphasizes life's vanity. Um, you might even uh, talk about Solomon as being jaded. As you read through the, his story here, he tried it all. And he came to the conclusion, it doesn't work. Um, so it's, it's really a good word for us. Many times we are tempted to envy the rich and famous. Uh, the uh, the beautiful and the bold, right? The bright, the beautiful, the bold. That's kind of the the, the people that we, we envy. And all too often, their lives are anything but bright and beautiful and bold. And, uh, and so uh, Solomon is describing what it's really like for someone who has had it all. I think that most of us would agree that apart from God, life is vanity. Uh, Paul, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15:32, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. And Solomon concludes that while life under the sun is vain, God has left joy in the world that can be found by pleasing him. In other words, there, there is a point to this life. His own viewpoint may be jaded because he walked away from the Lord, 
He tried the best this world has to offer. He concludes that the joys of the Lord are better. In other words, this world promises much and delivers nothing. God promises little in this world, but everything he delivers is worthwhile. So do you want this stack of Confederate money? Or would you like this $1 U.S. bill? Well, if you're short on scrap paper, maybe the Confederate money is what you want. But actually, I'd rather have just a dollar of good currency. And that's a lot of the point here. Chapter 6, Solomon has basically laid out his main argument in the first three chapters. And he's basically got it said. But what he's doing now is circling back and expanding on some of those points. And in chapter 6, he dives deeply into the dark side. He fa- he's, he's talking about the emptiness of life while asking us hard questions to force us to think. Solomon begins to answer these questions in this book, but we don't get the full answer until the New Testament. <clears throat> the questions in verse 6 do not all go to the one place. In verse 8, what advantage has the wise man over the fool? Verse 8 again, what advantage in good conduct? Verse 11, what advantage in more words? And verse 12, who knows what is good? And verse 12 again, what will happen after we die? So let's pray and, and then I'll read Ecclesiastes 6. Father, as we get into your word and as we look at the things that you said through Solomon, we pray you would enlighten our eyes. Father, give us wisdom and insight in this deep dive that we're taking. Help us to think deeply on these questions that Solomon raises. Help us to find the answers in you and in your son. And we look to to you in his name. Amen. Ecclesiastes 6. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years so that the days of his life are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered, Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, do not all go to the one place. The toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage has the wise over the fool, and what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Whatever has come to be has already been named, and it is known that what man is, it is known what man is, and he and that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. The more words, the more vanity, and what is the advantage to man? For who knows what is good for man while he lives, the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow. For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun?
So we're at point two. A deep dive into the evil, heavy, and grievous. Boy, it's just what you wanted to hear on a Sunday morning, right? Yet that's where we are. Under the sun, we are powerless to enjoy. In verses 1 and 2, there is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind, a man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. If any people in all of history would be happy because they have stuff, it is us. And how happy are we? Oh, we have our moments, right? But in general, is life a tra-la-la-la-la-la-la? <laughs> Probably not. And so in our lives, we have the proof of what Solomon is saying. Yes, there's things that we can enjoy but many, many times life seems wrong, heavy, and grievous. We heard this story this morning about this older gentleman being beaten to death after serving a town for years and years. Vanity, vanity, a striving after wind. By evil, it, it, he means that it seems wrong, heavy, and grievous. You know, this is like the Genesis 3 curse. Remember in Genesis 3, after man sinned, he, uh, God cursed some things. He didn't actually curse man, but he did curse a number of things. And in that, uh, some of the things that um, were involved were pain in childbirth. Any of the women here ever have any pain in childbirth? Anybody would describe that as the greatest pain you ever had in your life? Oh, no, it was easy, right? Wow. And why does God do things like that? Why would he do that? Well, what he did, and man gets the, uh, the work filled with pain, frustration, toil, and sweat. It seems like punishment, but the purpose is redemption. The reason God does that is redemption. What he is doing is allowing man to experience the rebellion of what God has put him in charge of, just like God experienced the rebellion of his creation. What did we do to God when we rebelled? Right? We told him, no, no, we're going to figure out what's good and evil. We're not listening to you. What do you know anyway? You only made the place. And he wants us to understand what we really did. So he allows life to rebel against us. You wonder what it was like for God when his creation rebelled. Well, just think about when you go out to work and you work hard all day and you end up farther behind than when you started in the morning. Has that ever happened? <laughs> Absolutely. And so he wants us to understand that. And so his purpose is redemptive. It's not any fun for us, but we have a disease. It's called sin. This sin will lead to death in our lives. He wants to kill this disease. Would you, If you have a disease, would you like that disease to be killed? How's it going to feel when that's happening? It's going to feel like part of you is dying. 
It's okay. It's a bad part. We want it to die. And so God is doing that in us. He is killing this disease. Yeah, it feels like death. Man works to fulfill his desires, yet he cannot enjoy them. This makes his effort vain, futile, and empty. He calls it evil. When it happens to you, it will feel evil. Okay? Let's just get that out there. It's going to feel evil. But the purpose is redemptive. God does this because he made us to be fulfilled in him and enjoy his gifts. But when we rebelled against him, what we really chose to do was enjoy his gifts or be fulfilled in his gifts and try to set him on the side. And he knows that that will eventually lead to disaster in our lives. And so he says, okay, you're not going to enjoy the gifts. It just doesn't work. Have you ever... Have you ever pulled your car up to the side of your house and pulled out the hose and pumped water right in your gas tank? Well, why wouldn't you do that? I mean, water is good, right? You you, you drink it, right? You wash off with it. Water is a good thing. Why wouldn't you just put it in your gas tank? Well, it just doesn't belong there. Water that is good in and of itself, when put in the gas tank, is evil. Don't do that. Very bad things will happen. You may be having your engine rebuilt. This is not a cool thing to put water in your gas tank. So it's the same thing for for us. When we try to to put God gifts God's gifts ahead of them, ahead of him, it's like putting water in our gas tank. Those gifts are good. They do not when we try to make when we try to worship them, they become evil to us. So when he, Solomon calls it evil or wrong, he's tapping into our feelings about life rather than saying that God is declaring it morally wrong. Apart from God's intervention on this planet, things are pretty hopeless. But because of his intervention, all these grievous things can draw us closer to him. But it will feel evil when it happens. Does that make sense? It's going to feel bad, but God can actually use it for good. Children, long life, and fame cannot satisfy the soul. Verse 3, if a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years so that the days of his life are many, But his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he has no burial. I can say that a stillborn child is better off than he. Solomon may be getting uh, autobiographical here. Uh, It says in the scriptures that, what, he had 700 wives and 300 concubines? Actually, 100 children was well within the range of possibility for him. Um. And he certainly did have a long life. And what the what he's saying is, if that you're not satisfied these with these things, then someone who dies before he is born is better off. That's a pretty stark contrast. That's a pretty stark contrast. 
And then in verse 4 and 5, he says, For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness is its name covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. And he's speaking about this stillborn child. This is an unbelievable contrast. We've had many, many healthy babies uh, born in this, in this congregation. Uh, we've got a, a few more waiting to, to pop out. Uh, a couple of the ladies look like they'll be greatly relieved when that finally happens. And, you know, Bonnie and I had a number of miscarriages. And, I, you know, it's we didn't have any that actually were like the stillborn where you go to the hospital and you get a baby only it's dead. Um, but that whenever that whenever that happens, it's always just really sad. Can you imagine parents that have prepared for nine months for this baby? They've, they've got a nursery set up. They've coordinated colors. They've bought clothes. They've done everything they know to get ready. They've gone to childbirth classes. All of their friends are having babies. And they go to the hospital in great anticipation. And they come home without a baby. It's hard to imagine anything sadder than that, isn't it? And yet what Solomon is saying is that life on this planet is actually worse than that. How bad is it? I mean, he's convinced me. I mean, I don't want to hear about anything better than that. And uh, that's what he's saying here is that life on this planet, you think life on this planet is bad. Well, let me tell you, it's actually worse. So an unbelievable contrast, the stillborn child. All roads lead to death, verse 6. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over and yet enjoy no good, do not all go to the same place or the one place. What's the point of long life here? He's talking about a thousand years twice over. That's 2,000 years. Um, actually, I have never known anybody that lived 2,000 years. Um, I can't imagine anybody living 2,000 years. His point is that even if you were to live 2,000 years, if you don't enjoy any good, it's useless. Have you ever had a, a whole day when the whole day was just miserable, started bad and got worse, finished up in the toilet. I mean, have you ever had a day like that? Can you imagine 2,000 days like that? Yeah, well, multiply by 365 and you got what he's talking about. <clears throat> Life without joy is not worth it. It is simply not worth it. Solomon concludes that life ends, life under the sun ends universally in death, the one place. And he asks the question, what advantage is there in life? What gain? Now, the reason he asks these questions is to get us to think. In this chapter, he doesn't give the answers. It's like that, you know, when you're used to the professor giving a, an open book test and you can go through it and look up answers and all of a sudden, you walk in and he announces, yeah, today it's not open book. And you're like, <laughs> So this one you, we actually have to think about. 
verse in verse seven. You know, excuse me. So that, that, that finishes up the first part, a deep dive into the evil, heavy, and the grievous. All roads lead to death. Uh, not a happy thought. <clears throat> now we're going to go deep into toil and wisdom. And his first comment on toil is that we are forever hungry. All the toil, in verse 7, all the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. So what is he talking about here? Some of you know that uh, uh, for a number of years I've struggled with my weight, and um, uh, a few years back I managed to lose a bunch, and still still fighting that battle here, and, and uh, uh, trying, you know, trying to make, make it so there's less of me to love. Um, why is keeping the weight off so hard? Well, it's because having something to eat, if Bonnie fixes it, is, is always good. It tastes good. And so matter, no matter what's happening in my day, I can always get a little boost. Yeah, just a little boost. And you know what? If a little boost is good, another boost must be better. <laughs> right? And about 20 boosts later, where are we? (laughs) (laughs) That is the way that sin works. It gives you a little hook, a little taste of something good, and it keeps you coming back. And it's like the magician waving his hand out here while back here the real stuff is going on. And you miss it because he's waving his hand out here. That's the hook, the good taste. And all the the things that we get into, and and it can be all kinds of different things. Um, It can be drugs. It can be drinks, drinking. It can be sex. It can be relationships. It can be children. It can be any of the things that we take pleasure in. When we start making that our fulfillment, it breaks. It can't bear the load. It can't carry the freight. And so it breaks, and I end up fat. You know, Or uh, if my particular problem was drugs, I'd end up a drug addict. Or uh, uh, another one of my favorite ones I'm, uh, was... was Raised at my pappy's knee with this one, and that's the way to deal with life is anger. And you know what? Anger really works. It actually does. Just get really good and angry, and people start jumping around, you know? <laughs> they try to get out of your way, <laughs> try to keep you happy. And what does it result in? Ruined relationships and terribly embarrassing behavior. See, it's it's a little bit of a little bit of a thing that kind of works a little bit. And then the the end of it is it's awful. It's really truly awful. And and so uh, any of those things that we get into, um, the pornography, the um, the constant pursuit of uh, of relationships, um, the uh, you know when we start believing that uh, this other person is finally going to make us happy, you know, and I really wish that were true. 
if anybody could make a man happy, it would be Bonnie. I mean, it's just, she is just totally over the top. The trouble is me. I'm not satisfied. And so none of us can be really happy with another person. If we're satisfied in the Lord and getting our fulfillment in him, then we can enjoy other people. But when we make someone else our God, the trouble is they can't work miracles. No matter how much they want to, they actually can't. So the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. All these desires we have for good things, they are fine as long as we keep them in their place. So forever hungry. And then what advantage is there in wisdom or in good conduct? Verse 8, for what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the the living? Within limited bounds, wisdom and good conduct work. Right? As long as our expectations of good conduct and its effect and wisdom, um, we can get good results. The problem is that when we expect those things to give us only the satisfaction that the Lord can provide, then they break. They can't do that. We need to choose to be satisfied with what the Lord provides. And point C, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush, but you still don't have what you want. Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite, for this also is vanity and a striving after wind. In other words, what you see is what is right in front of you. What, in other words, what you have is what you see. And that's much better, actually, than this appetite that just is constantly wandering. Have you ever been like that, that as soon as you get one thing, you want another thing? As, and as soon as you get the one thing, it's, it's like a kid on Christmas morning. How long does a new toy last? And basically till about Christmas dinner. And then that new toy is now an old toy. So the, the, um, the appetite constantly wanders. And even though we have gotten what we wanted before, now we want something different. And as uh, Solomon says here, this also is a vanity and a striving after wind. Have you ever tried to catch the wind? Yeah, now if you have a sailboat, maybe that'll work. But we're not sailboats. What's the secret to contentment? The secret to contentment is not in having what you want. It's in wanting what you have. If God is good and he works all things together for good, then by definition, what he has given you right now is good. So figure out how to enjoy it. How in the world did Joseph, you've heard the story of Joseph in Genesis. How in the world did Joseph emerge from that prison, not a bitter, bitter man? How did that happen? It was his story in summary. He was uh, thrown into, he was sold into slavery by his brothers because he was uh, more talented and more successful than they. 
and also he's a little arrogant snot, but other than that. <laughs> so his brothers sold him into slavery. He was bought by a, a kind-hearted master. His master's wife falsely accused him of, uh, of a sex crime, and they threw him in jail and left him to rot. Um, he served willingly in the jail, and everybody forgot all the good things he did for him and just left him there to rot. How in the world do you not end up bitter from that? And I submit to you that, that, that Joseph knew this, that he learned how to be content with what he had rather than focusing on having what he wanted. It's not getting what you think will make you content. The secret's in being content with what you have. So finally, we, we arrive at some deep questions. Verses uh, 10 through 12. We've talked about the uh, deep dive in the introduction. We've talked about the, the, how heavy, uh, deep, uh, how evil, heavy, and grievous life is under the sun. We've, uh, we've looked at toil and wisdom. Now is questions. Whatever has come to be has already been named. And if it is known what man is, and that he is not a, and it is known what man is, and that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he, the more words, the more vanity, and what is the advantage to man? For who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which passes like a shadow? For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? Like I say, Solomon was a little jaded. He's not a happy camper. How little control we have over life. Someone stronger than us is in control. That's actually good news. We sit here and we think, oh, but I want to be in control. I want to be the captain of my fate. Yeah, um, actually, we don't know the course. We don't know how to make it all come together. But God does. He talks about more words, talking, philosophy, thinking is vanity. Putting our hope in God, trusting in him, worshiping him. This is actually satisfying. Who actually knows what to do with our vain lives under the sun? God does. He can and will work all things together for good. Trust him with your life. Don't be like Solomon and waste your life on vain pursuits. Who can tell what will be after him? God does. Trust him. Life is not about what you get out of it. You ever seen that bumper sticker that says, he who dies with the most toys wins? Okay, if that's what winning life is about, I want out. <laughs> I want to find the exit. I want a refund on my admission fee. Life is about what you put into it. As, as uh, you know, we, we uh, many of you are in college and you've heard all the stuff about, you know, find what you really enjoy, find what uh, really makes you happy and then go do that. And, um, the problem with all of that, of course, is that life happens. 
<clears throat> I'm kind of on the other end of that. I'm as of an age when many people are thinking about retirement. And, of course, that means I get lots of ads and, and brochures in the mail. And, you know, come live on our beach. You know, it's wonderful. You can get a suntan and, you know, there will be all these people standing around fanning you. Right, right. <laughs> and so what they are trying to allure me with is that I've paid my dues. Now I can sit back and let somebody else do the work. And you know what? I can't imagine a quicker way to turn a retirement into a vanity than that. And really what I'm thinking about in terms of my retirement is what can I do to make some more contributions? Because it's... it's uh, Actually, I get more satisfaction out of helping and contributing than I do about getting rewarded. And it's, it's just really true. So the, the lure of, of retirement. Um, and again, it's just like what I was talking about with eating. Yeah, kicking back on a beach and well, as long as I had a shady spot and cool breeze and a good book, yeah, that'd be good. I wouldn't even need the beach. Um, but the thing is, what would a life be like that was only a shady spot, a cool breeze, and a good book? Yeah, get pretty boring. So Solomon asks us all these rhetorical questions to get us beyond thinking on the surface, beyond what we can see, beyond under the sun. We have to look to heaven. And with all this talk about how evil our lives are, how grievous, how heavy, there was a day when all the evil that has ever existed on our planet, all the sin, all the vanity, on the frustration, all the pain was poured out on the one truly good man who ever lived. How does that compare to your bad day? If anybody ever had justification for complaining about their day, it was Jesus. And he was like a lamb to the slaughter. He had always loved. He had always spoke truth, always welcomed the needy and the helpless. It was the greatest injustice ever done on this sorry planet where we live. The one and only good man was horribly executed for everyone else's sin. Nothing that has ever happened or will ever happen to any of us will ever be that bad. Yet God took that horrible evil and turned it into the greatest good ever done in all of history. In raising Jesus from the dead, God, through that incredible evil, accomplished the salvation of the world. If God could do that, surely the frustrations, the vanities of our lives will be no problem for him. I don't know how he will work everything together for good. And I've been through some things that I've got my doubts that he can even pull it off. But looking, or at least I don't know how he could pull it off. But looking to Jesus on the cross, I no longer doubt that he will.
Let's pray.